Welcome to the Startup Competitors Podcast, where we talk with early stage entrepreneurs and to understand what information they use to inform product roadmap, strategy, and market differentiation. Want regular updates on moves your competitors are making? You can learn more at startupcompetitors.com. Welcome to the podcast. Today I'm talking with Trevor Kratz. Trevor is involved in many things. Most notably, he runs Buddy Brands, which is an e-commerce set of brands. Buddy Rest, Tough Pup, Natural Doggy, I think maybe one or two more. He's also involved with ScanShop. He runs an agency called Compel Commerce, and we chat all things e-commerce related. We talk about his journey in launching his e-commerce companies, why, how, how they thought about scale, his involvement with Compel Commerce today and ScanShop, which is kind of 3D modeling and 3D asset creation, kind of the future of e-commerce. So we spent a little bit of time on that, not just that technology, but some others. Really fun conversation. As a dog owner, I was constantly distracted between talking with him about his business as well as some of the products that he and his team develop. It was a lot of fun. We didn't get to this until after we stopped recording the podcast, but Trevor was super gracious to offer a discount for folks who want to try either Buddy Rest products or Natural Doggy products. I ended up ordering the product that we talked about at the very end of the show. So if you'd like to try out any of those products, you can use the discount code STARTUP25, which is a 25% discount for Startup Competitors listeners. I used it to buy the CBD coconut oil for my dog, Maggie. Hopefully you'll find something you like as well. Either way, I'm positive you will enjoy this discussion. Trevor is awesome, and there's a lot of great content. Thanks so much. With that, I also want to do a quick shout out to Fuel Merchandise Group. Fuel is one of our newer sponsors here to the podcast. You can find them at fuelmerchandise.com. If you need any brand marketing or products for your company, you can get 10% off your first order. Just mention startup competitors at fuelmerchandise.com. And with that, we'll just get right on to the show. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome to the podcast. Today, we have Trevor Kratz, who's the president at Buddy Brands, also involved in a couple of other companies that we're going to talk about, Compel Commerce and ScanShop.io. Trevor, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Why don't we start with a quick overview of the kind of three companies that you're involved with, Buddy Brands, ScanShop, and Compel Commerce? The short version is Buddy Brands is a collection of different solution-based pet product brands that are all focused on solving uh, real core issues for pets like pain, mobility, anxiety, allergies, and itching. So we do this with a variety of different products. We have a manufacturing facility here in the United States where we make all of our products. And we sell to a variety of channels like uh, Target, Bass Pro Shops, and some of our own channels as well. And then we also make products for other companies in addition. Compel Commerce is my agency. It's where I spend most of my time these days. I focus on bridging the gap between shopping on your couch and shopping in the store. We do this by creating amazing user experiences using 3D and augmented reality. And all things e-commerce is really what uh, Compel Commerce is about. And then the last part, ScanShop, which you can find at ScanShop.io, is a really cool new technology that democratizes the creation of 3D models for use in e-commerce and augmented reality. That way you can actually give the customer more access to the product and it will increase conversion rates and reduce returns. And that's something that's really exciting. And 
really pumped to go through that with you later. Right on. Why don't you unpack which came first? How did you get started in e-commerce and what took you down this path? My first kind of touch with e-commerce, my first experience was back in 2004, 2005 timeframe, I built an eBay business. And back then it was a pretty substantial business for me. We did business liquidation, we did auctions. And the idea was, is rather than send all your stuff to auction, we'll piece it out and find buyers and bring more value. You know, eBay is a tough business in general. You're kind of at their mercy. And to be fair, I'm not a huge fan of eBay these days. I don't really spend much time on there. But back then, it was a great opportunity to really learn how to do commerce online. And I highly recommend if there's anybody listening that wants to get into e-com, but they're not really sure where to start or how to create a website or where my products are. eBay is a really good kind of out of the box turnkey opportunity for you to understand creating listings, doing product photography. They've got the platform, they've got the customers and providing a high level of customer service, shipping the product out. It's a really good crash course and a good place to start. So that's really where I kind of cut my teeth in e-commerce was selling and reselling stuff on eBay. But really where my story starts from where I'm at today, what punched our ticket to the dance here is Buddy Rest. About 10 years ago, I was really surprised to discover on a routine visit to the vet that my dog was destined to not live very long. And by that, I mean, I was surprised to find out that his life expectancy was only 10 years when the dog I had growing up lived to be 16. And so doing some research, I was really surprised to discover this because of painful joint problems and canine arthritis. It's number one reason why dogs are euthanized because of poor quality of life issues that happen to come across from those afflictions. And in researching it more, big dogs are really the ones that suffer the most from this. In fact, big dogs generally live somewhere about three to four years less than their smaller counterparts. And the reason is, is because of the painful joint problems. At the time I discovered all this, I was actually working in the mattress industry. I was a sales trainer and I already knew firsthand how important support was to the body. And I'd seen firsthand how the right support system and how a pressure-free support system had really helped people with arthritis and back problems and joint issues. And so I sought out to get something for my dog that was going to be supportive because I knew it was important. And I knew it's something that a lot of people neglect. And so, you know, in searching out there, there was really nothing out there that uh, would be what I would consider to be a supportive bed for your dog. And so Uh, I saw an opportunity to do something, not just for my dog, but proactively also for millions of dogs out there that are destined to suffer from canine arthritis and hip dysplasia and these painful joint problems. Out of that need, I saw an opportunity to create Buddy Rest. And that's what we did. We created the world's best dog beds that are tactile pressure mapped to be truly orthopedic. They're the number one vet recommended dog bed on the planet. And they can really help improve the quality of life of any animal that might be suffering from these types of issues, pain, mobility issues due to joint problems. And it's also a great proactive measure to put your dog on earlier in life. So that's how we got started. Awesome. So had success with that and then Compel came out of that or were you already doing kind of agency work and consulting before you launched Buddy Rest? Compel came out of a natural evolution of things, but that didn't come until way, way, way later. To give you the shortened updated version is we started Buddy Rest. We had some great success. We went on our national shopping television. We were in the Sky Mall catalog. We found ourselves after a couple of years with a pretty decent little business. But the fact is, is that we were still a small business in a small niche. And so we wanted to capture more market share. We wanted to go after new customers. And we found an opportunity with our build or buy strategy. We acquired a couple brands along the way. And then we also built a couple of brands along the way. So now we have Buddy Rest Natural Doggy 
Sit Stay, Pup IQ, Tough Pup, Pet Envy, and uh, a few others. And ultimately, the reason why we didn't just do it all under one brand is because not all dog people are the same. And in this day and age, in digital marketing in particular, it's incredibly important that you have a, a highly curated approach with your branding and your messaging that really targets that particular customer and the avatar and really speaks to them and your brand resonates them and helps them tell their story through your brand. We found the best way to do that was to bifurcate brands and have brands where you know you have Tough Pup, which is all about tactical gear for dogs, maybe not necessarily be the same customer that's buying this stuff for their police dog or their working animal that might be buying only the most natural coconut oil for your dog's coat and allergies that you get at Natural Doggy, or maybe the world's best dog bed you get at Buddy Rest. There's definitely some synergy between all of them. But really what it is that ties it all together is that it's a solution-based approach. As I mentioned earlier, Mike, we focus on solving real pet problems for pet people. So we don't do you know, cool dog hoodies. We don't do funny costumes for your dog to wear at Halloween time or, God forbid, other just regular days. We actually focus on solving <laughs> pain, mobility, allergies, and anxiety, you know, the things that really plague dogs and really hold them back from living the best quality of life that they can. So I'm pleased to say that you know, this day and age, we've now, you know, 10 years later, we have this solution-based approach. We make all of our products in-house. And so we're one of the very few manufacturers that still make pet products in the United States here, which is a pretty interesting place to be in. And the, you know, somewhat post-COVID trade wars and all that, you know, people are looking for manufacturers and we make a lot of products for other companies as well at this point including a lot of major kennel companies and animal health companies. We make beds for people all over the place. And so, yeah, that's where really where we're at now. And with the scan shop and Compel, to go back to your question, the natural evolution of my journey in e-commerce was looking for that edge. How can we convert more customers? One of those ways is deploying 3D models into your website, and deploying 3D models so customers can view their product in their space in augmented reality or just have better access to the product so it raises their perceived value of what they're actually buying. And by giving the customer better access to the product, it allows them to have a better, clear understanding of what they're buying, and it helps create the conversion. And so what they see online is what they get at the door. And with that, I had a lot of uh, consultancy stuff that I was doing under my own name. And so I rolled that into the Compel agency. And that's really where we're at today. So I've got a collection of really awesome brands that solve real problems in the pet industry under Buddy Brands. And then I have a really cool technology that no one else has that creates a 3D asset almost fully automated. And then the Compel agency kind of ties it all together with everything that we're doing for e-commerce and other companies and my consultancy and my own companies. And Compel is just kind of that vehicle. So I'd be interested in your take on e-commerce, at least from a trends perspective over the last kind of year and a half through COVID and then where you see it going. Because I think where we sit just on the other side of COVID, we're recording this in May of 21 where most people who are probably going to get the vaccine have gotten it and businesses are starting to reopen up and stuff like that. But if you go all the way back to like early 2000 Shopify stock, just as an indicator of the explosion of e-commerce during COVID, Shopify stock was about 500 bucks a share and it has gone 3x that through COVID. When you reflect back on the last year and a half, two years, what were some of the big trends that you saw going through COVID? And then where do you think that puts us 
on the other side of COVID when we think of e-commerce going forward? What are going to be some of the things that folks should be looking for in the future? I think that's really interesting. And, you know, you mentioned Shopify. I'm a big fan of Shopify, you know, after spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on development and different uh, websites. I've moved almost everything over to Shopify in the last couple of years just because it makes things so easy. And it also eliminates the need for heavy dev teams. And I also own quite a bit of stock in Shopify myself. So I'm a big fan of it. And I'm really happy with the performance that it's happened. But I'm also sitting here almost feeling a little of, it's almost like survivor's guilt, where the fact that we've been in pets and e-commerce over the last year, we had a record year last year. You know, there's a lot of people out there hurting, a lot of businesses closing, a lot of people losing what they put their hard work into. And so it's kind of an interesting position to be in here. But we feel very fortunate and appreciative of the steps that we took to put us in this position along the way. You know, for any company who didn't prioritize e-commerce or thought it was, I have a hard time believing anybody would think it was a fad or it was something not important. But if anybody who did not understand the true importance of e-commerce and what it can do for your business, I think they've awoken to that in the last year. You know, there's a lot of experts that say that e-commerce has been accelerated five or seven or 10 years in the future. And I don't necessarily buy into all that. I think it's definitely accelerated adoption of e-commerce. I think it's maybe put us a few years ahead on the roadmap, but five or 10 years is probably a little drastic. You know, the core thing is there's a lot of outliers or late adopters that just weren't into e-commerce, never bought anything online, didn't trust putting their debit card in. And this is not young folks. You know, young folks will go to a random website they've never been on before and easily hit the Apple Pay. But the older folks that are having trouble transitioning, I think you're seeing them now, they're on there, they're understanding the convenience that's afforded by not having to go to the store. And a lot of those people, even though I know we yearn for connections and we yearn for shopping in store and having some of those experiences a lot of the time, a lot of people realize that that's kind of overrated. And this is really an interesting point for us, you know, being in the 3D asset creation and being in e-commerce in general is that we're able now to deploy products you know, that really help show people the value of shopping online. For example, going into the 3D, which has absolutely been accelerated a little bit, it allows you to have experiences, user experiences you wouldn't be able to achieve in a store. So for example, if you were to see one of my Buddy Rest dog beds on a shelf in a store, you might be able to touch it and feel it, and that's interesting, but you're not going to be able to see what it looks like in your home. And on the BuddyRest.com website, you can actually deploy that in augmented reality, native to Shopify, by the way, which is another reason why I'm a huge fan of Shopify, but you can deploy that native in augmented reality and see if it's going to fit in the corner. What's it going to look like next to the couch? Is it going to match the drapes in this room? That doesn't lend itself perfectly well for every single product, for every use case there is, but for a lot of use cases, you're able to create a really, really cool user experience that they wouldn't even be able to achieve in the store, like putting a couch in a living room, for example. And so I think that the pandemic really was a wake-up call for people to, if you don't have your e-com strategy on point and prioritized, I think more importantly, that you need to be. And you're seeing people rush into the space now headfirst, recognizing the error of their ways and you know, really focusing on e-commerce going forward. I think there'll always be some sort of live shopping experience. I don't think e-com is going to take over and put retailers out of business completely. But I think retailers all need to have an omni-channel approach, making sure that they have mixed strategies for shopping online, shopping in the store. And the idea of trying to compete in the next decade with the juggernauts in the space with just a little store is, is a really difficult proposition. So people need to invest in their online channels. They need to make sure that they own their customers. And by that, I mean, own the customer relationships, don't just sell through marketplaces. 
and really focus on how you can create unique value and build that relationship with customers. So everybody who transacts on your website is not a transaction, but a relationship. And everybody, if they can focus on being more relational, I think that's a competitive advantage against some of the bigger juggernauts going forward. That leads quite nicely into my next question, which I will claim these are not waters I often swim in. So if this is a dumb question, you can feel free to guide me through asking a better version of it. But when somebody's thinking about building out an e-commerce presence, there's also the option to list in some of those online marketplaces or an online store like Amazon or something like that. When you're trying to do the calculus to figure out whether or not you should be investing more in your own Shopify store or figuring out how to sell through Amazon, which I understand is its own thing, just to do that well. How should you be thinking about that if you're an emerging brand? What are some of the trade-offs there between building out your own marketplace versus selling through somebody else's? Yeah, I think you sold yourself short there because I think that, Mike, is like one of the best questions I've ever been asked on a podcast. I think that's a great question. And so to dive into that, There's pros and cons of everything, right? So Amazon has a massive amount of traffic. They have trust. They have people that are willing to buy. So, you know, there is an advantage to going to that marketplace. The disadvantage is you get knocked off easily. You're competing directly with overseas factories that are selling directly. Oftentimes, the same factories that are selling you your product, they're competing directly against you, DTC, right, to the consumer. And Amazon doesn't do a whole lot to protect you from that, I guess. You know, there is also a race to the bottom that comes with Amazon. So if you're worried about maintaining pricing integrity, it's a problem. I'll give you an example. If you have more than one person selling your product or the same product on Amazon, then if you're not the best price, you get a little notification from Amazon that says, hey, you should lower this five cents and you'll win the buy box because you're not getting the sales right now. And so you say, okay, I'll lower it five cents. You hit the button. Well, guess what? The other person that's got the listing, they get a notification that says, hey, you're no longer winning the buy box. You need to lower this five cents. And guess what? They do that and it goes back and sends another message. It literally encourages you to ruin the pricing integrity of your product. So I would caution anybody that is looking to build a brand. I know a lot of people have built brands on Amazon, but they are Amazon brands. It's not necessarily a standalone brand. And by that, I mean, it's hard to get people to buy into the brand when you're just a product on a shelf with a bunch of other products. It's really hard to do business and get repeat business and sell into that same customer base when you don't own that customer relationship. So there's a lot of advantages. I would say if you're looking at selling products, marketplaces are absolutely fantastic places, but I don't think they're, in my personal opinion, they're the best place to build brands because you don't own those customer relationships. We all know it's a lot more expensive to attract new customers than it is to sell to your customer base. And if you don't have that customer base, then it's always going to be really expensive to transact business. And then if you have partners that are taking a piece of the action, also maybe pushing you around a little bit and they control all the leverage, one algorithm update can take you out of business. It's a really risky proposition for a lot of retailers. So you know, it's not to say that you shouldn't have a presence on some of these big box retailers. I think that an omni-channel approach is what's necessary. Don't go all in in one place. You go all in in one place, like Amazon, like I said, it's a really risky proposition because things can change tomorrow. And in digital marketing, we all know that what works today and what worked yesterday doesn't necessarily work tomorrow. So you have to be fluid. So my recommendation is examine all channels as the synergy that it creates an ecosystem online that helps really create your brand. But you don't necessarily have to focus on one marketplace in general. I know a lot of people make a lot of money on Amazon, for example. 
if you really want to build a sustainable brand that's going to last a long time, you really need to own those customer relationships and you need to be relational. The reason why people buy online is because they buy from people they like, trust, and uh, you're trying to compete with Amazon on a logistics standpoint when they've got all these robots picking orders around the clock and shipping faster and we've got same day delivery rolling out in a lot of areas, you're going to lose. You know, you're not going to beat them logistically. Brand awareness, trust, that's a really hard proposition as well because people trust Amazon and they know the name, they know they can make the return. And so that's really hard as well. And so really what do you focus your energy on? And I think it's creating unique products, making sure you have a very curated approach to marketplaces. So If you're selling on Amazon, you're the only one selling on Amazon. There's no race to the bottom. There's nobody that's messing with your IP or ruining your pricing integrity. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. I know people make billions of dollars on Amazon. I think it needs to be part of the solution, but it's not the only way to go. Right on. Most founders start companies because they figured out a better way to solve a problem or serve a need. Not because they love tracking payroll, filling out compliance forms, and explaining employee benefits packages. And yet, all that stuff still has to be done. That's why there's Fullstack PEO. Fullstack PEO specializes in turnkey HR for emerging companies, not just those core services, but advice and expertise that helps founders maximize employee potential. Curious? Find more at fullstackpeo.com. Talk a little bit more about kind of the future of e-commerce. I know you're starting to scratch that with ScanShop. Spend a little bit more time there or even talk about other technologies that are emerging right now that you see really changing the way that we shop online in the coming years. It's a really interesting place to be. And I mean, we're in such an innovative time from a human race standpoint. It's really exciting. You know, I look at everything is going to go towards being more native and intuitive. And you can see that right now where you can make purchases off of Instagram or Facebook. You don't even leave their website. But ultimately, you know, where technology is going, not just with 3D assets and augmented reality, but also our ability to use sensors and our ability to use machine learning and AI is really creating some interesting opportunities to where in the future, I foresee it's not going to be a phone. I think it is going to be a headset at first, maybe a watch, but you'll be able to see something on the street that you like, whether it be a car or a jacket somebody's wearing walking by, and you'll be able to natively find where they buy that and you'll be able to make that purchase within a matter of seconds. Everything is going to go more native, more intuitive. Everything goes to where it just makes the most sense. And for me, I think That's ultimately what we want as a society in digital marketing and e-commerce in general is we want it to be as smooth and easy as possible. We want to remove any kind of friction points, which is really important to increase your conversion rate is that you don't have a bunch of roadblocks. You're not asking people to take a lot of actions. So I think everything becomes streamlined. You know, there's a reason why I have an iPhone 12 mini versus the iPhone 12 gigantic one. It's because I prioritize the way it fits in my hand and the way I can use my thumb more so than having a big screen to watch videos on. I think that the future of e-commerce, digital marketing, is really experiential, where people are creating awesome experiences, people are interacting with products online, people are looking at augmented reality, people are deploying 3D assets on their desk while you're having a conversation about it, people are bridging the gap when virtual trade shows with augmented reality type of uh, experiences. There are no limits. So the limits are only in our imagination. And we can really do anything that we want. And once you realize that technology has opened the possibilities for us to really do anything and that anything is possible, then we're living in a really cool, unique world where we get to go paint our own future. You get to be Bob Ross and paint those pretty little trees and interact with them however you want. 
the future is not written for us. This is an amazing time to be alive. I always like to share it with people is even though we don't have any limits, it's really up to you. So you have the same amount of time in your day as Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos. And what do you do with your time? How do you prioritize it? You have access to all the world's information in your pocket. Are you leveling up? Are you learning? Are you listening? Your audience is listening to podcasts. So that's great. You know, are you doing these things? Are you upgrading your skills? Are you working towards your dreams? Or are you spending all your time, you know, watching cat videos and commenting on social forums and being political online? This is really where you spend your time. So I think this day and age, it's super exciting, super innovative, super appreciative to be not only part of it, but the tip of the spear when it comes to e-commerce. Great answer. I want to go back to maybe a more tactical question on the brand product line development side of things, because you kind of struggled with this. You must have struggled with this early on in Buddy Brands, and obviously you developed an answer to it. So let's say I'm... I've launched a new product. I've developed that brand. I've developed a following. I've grown that business to a million dollars a year in, in somewhat recurring revenue just with purchases on that brand. At some point, I just picked a million as a random number to just indicate some level of success. But there's some number in there where as an owner, you're now going to be faced with, do you continue to just invest in that brand and that product? Do you start to think about other products that that customer that you have could use and would like. And so do you start releasing new products to that same customer under that same brand? Or, you know, in your case, you eventually went past that and decided, well, now we should go start to maybe acquire some other unique brands that have their own unique customer segments and things like that. As somebody's starting to think about maybe some of those natural inflection points where, okay, now we need to be adding other products and now we need to be thinking about different brands. How do you start to approach that? Or how did you, maybe less advice, more experience, how did you start to approach that when you and your team were faced with that? We're in a unique position here in this day and age to where we have a cut and sew facility here and we make our own products, right? And so when I make a product, I don't make a product and then try to figure out how to sell it. I kind of figure out the marketing piece, what's the problem we're solving first, and then I kind of reverse engineer things to that. The idea of staying stagnant. You almost got to be like a shark when it comes to business these days. And I don't mean a shark, like a shark tank investor or someone who loans money or someone who's going to bite your leg off. I mean, you have to be somebody who keeps moving because if you stop and you don't innovate, it's really a death sentence these days. The tactical advantage we have as product developers, specifically product developers in the United States, first off, you have to have the self-awareness and knowing where your strengths are. And our strengths is the fact that we're nimble, we're fast, we can come to market pretty quickly. We're vertically integrated, so we own a lot of our own channels. So I can have an idea that I can think is the winner. You know, we have a photography studio in our facility. I can talk to our product engineers about it. I can literally have it on the market, you know, by the end of the day versus our competition that has to, you know, reiterate the product, have it come over in a container. Hopefully it does well. If it doesn't, it ends up at clearance stores discounted. And so having that tactical advantage is super important. So knowing where your strengths are and being able to play to them is important. But for us, with all the knockoffs that are coming, the way we deal with knockoffs and copycats, and if you have a successful product out there and you're selling it online, there will be competition and there will be direct knockoffs of your product. Rather than fight those fights, what our focus is, is we continue to innovate. We can continue to release new products. Going back to that selling into your base, 
If you have new products that your base is going to respond to, that's going to be the number one driver of growth in your business is being able to sell them new products on a regular basis. And if you don't have any new products to sell them, then the next logical step is, hey, how can I create something new and different that they're going to find of value or maybe you know solve a problem that they're facing? And once you can figure that out and you can kind of repeat that cycle on a regular basis and always be innovating, always be moving forward, I think that's a good strategy to be successful in today's climate. Related question that occurred to me while you were answering that, which has to do on how you think of product development. I think everybody in the product world is looking for the razor blade scenario where I can create a product that has consumables. So my customer keeps coming back day in, day out. That's really hard and pretty rare. So the next best thing is a product that somebody could buy and then would potentially buy that same thing again and again, maybe not as often as a razor blade. But what's interesting when I think about some of the products that you built and build, particularly the Tough Pup brand of products, like conceivably somebody who's buying one of those dog collars is only ever buying one of them. Like that's kind of the brand promise, right? Like it's it's going to be something that's going to last for a really long time. It's going to be really durable. How do you and your team think about that in terms of durability? Like we want to build something that obviously is a premium product and people can trust and rely on. But at the same time, the better you make it, the less you're going to sell to the same repeat buyer. Making high quality, durable products that are are designed to last the lifetime of your animal, for example, is a double-edged sword. I remember in the beginning, I was really surprised when I was talking with a pet store owner. You know, I'd explained to her our beds are designed to last the lifetime of an animal. They're better value. They're better for support. And they need to be washed much less. And she said, I don't want any of that. And I said, well, to be frank, all you sell is this cheap crap that people constantly wash and it falls apart. And, then, and she said, yeah, exactly. And they come back and they buy it over and over and over again. That really uh, opened my mind to the fact that, yeah, there is two sides to this story. And so our strategy, and I can't say that it works for everybody, but our strategy is focusing on the solutions and focusing on that more so than focusing on just developing products. So when we talk about the fact that our products are designed to last the lifetime of your dog, you know, take a look at our dog bed. Yeah, it's got a much better sustainability. It's a one-time purchase, but it does not necessarily lend itself the best to repeat purchases and cash flow into the company. And so that's where we diversified. And that's where we have products like our natural doggy line, which is only the best high quality supplements for your animal. For people who care about what they put into the body of their dog, that's really where it's at. And so we have hedged against kind of the uh, single one-time buyer by creating amazing supplements that really solve these problems for their pets. So for example, we use a CBD-infused coconut oil product we developed, and we were the only ones that came to market with that. I say only ones because we've had a couple of people that followed us along the way, but we created a CBD coconut oil product that helped relieve allergies, itching, and also removed anxiety. We have a sustainably sourced uh, wild Alaskan salmon oil that helps with allergies and itching. It's just a food topper. And we have a multitude of other CBD products that we sell under the Natural Doggy brand. And those are all consumable products. A lot of them are on a subscription service. So we have a recurring revenue component to our business model as well, which what you're alluding to is every business is looking for that recurring revenue. And that's really how we transitioned over the years to dealing with it. Rather than make a cheap crap bed that would fall apart and people would rebuy it, that went against the very nature of everything that we were about. And so we got into a different vertical. And now we're in the consumables vertical and people buy 
dog treats from us or dog supplements from us on a regular basis every single week, every single month, every single year, even if they're only buying one dog bed for the lifetime of their animal. And that's how we dealt with it. I highly recommend anybody who's in that same conundrum that we're in where you're making a high quality product. Don't think about cheapening the product and don't compromise. Make the best damn product that you can make and then find other ways to capture maybe recurring revenue or get into another, you know, diversify your business and hedge against seasonality and hedge against competition by going after different pieces of the market. And that's what we did. You're mentioning CBD infused coconut oil. And I have a dog at home that is like an allergic mess who is also high anxiety. So I'm like on your website searching for that at the same time that you're talking. Uh, it's fantastic, man. This is a great conversation. Thank you. Well, if you need a purchase, you just let me know. Uh, okay. I feel like that's the way to go, right? It's going to be the CBD infused coconut oil. Is that the thing for an itchy, anxious dog? An itchy, anxious dog. That's exactly what the doctor ordered. In fact, you'll find a lot of testimonials on our site about how it not only reduced the nightmare of itching, which oftentimes people don't realize how terrible that is for your dog to have to be itchy all the time. If you can imagine you itching all the time, it's not hard to recognize it. But the other thing is, is anxiety. You know, oftentimes we don't recognize our dog's anxiety. Especially as dogs get old, you know, something that people don't realize oftentimes is that anxiety is also driven by pain. And so if you have an older dog that is going to be maybe suffering from some canine arthritis, they might be pacing in the middle of the night or panting. And if you hear my voice saying this to you, and this is resonating with you, that don't worry, there are things that you could do to help your dog. But that's anxiety. That's not them having insomnia. That's not them trying to figure out, you know, they had a rough day and they're playing it back through their head. They're dealing with anxiety and it's more than likely driven by their arthritis. And these things are all connected. And so we set out to create amazing products. Like I said, we try to solve the real problems for pets. And that really focuses in on solving those issues that really make their quality of life not where it needs to be. And so coconut oil with CBD infusion, you know, hits the water with a couple stones there. And, uh, you know, if you wanted to really give it a try, you can check it out at naturaldoggy.com and see for yourself what that looks like. It's natural D-O-G-G-I-E. And we've got plenty of testimonials and people absolutely swear by it. You know, we've won pretty much every award you can win in the pet industry for our quality and our innovation. And we even won a world branding award at the Hofburg Palace in Austria a year ago for our branding and marketing. All those things are fantastic and great, and we love that recognition. But when we hear back from our customers about how our product helped their dog, how it relieved that anxiety in the middle of the night, or it relieved their nightmare of itching, and even sometimes how our product provided a comfortable place for them to spend their final days or hours, that's really what fills our cup. And you know, when my head hits the pillow at the end of the day, even though we are a business, I feel really good about the impact that we make in the world. And I think all of our team members here feel the same. That is a great place to wrap. We're already over time. Trevor, thank you so much. If folks want to get in touch with you, what is the best way for them to do that? If you uh, want to connect with me, find me on LinkedIn. It's Trevor Crotts. It's C-R-O-T-T-S. You can find me on Clubhouse. Uh, I'm Trevor One on Clubhouse. I'm on Clubhouse all the time, all over the place. I'm assuming you can probably find uh, our websites in the show notes here. I'm really uh, accessible. I love to connect with people. I think that business is all about relationships. So if you want to chat about anything 3D, augmented reality, e-commerce, traffic, or anything dogs, hit me up. I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate it. Have a great day. Startup Competitors provides monthly handcrafted email updates on your top competitors. Keep up to date on new hires, marketing activities, events, 
awards, new product launches, pricing changes, funding, and a bunch more. Learn more at startupcompetitors.com.